Adam and Eve, starting at the very beginning. Just going to go through the whole gospel story this morning. Hope you guys have about 10 hours to spare. Adam and Eve were in the garden, listened to the lie of the enemy, decided their way was better than God's way, and death entered the world, sin entered the world. Adam knew Eve, and they had two sons, Cain and Abel. And in Cain and Abel, we see some of the effects of that sin, some of the fruits of what what happened. So Adam and Eve sin, they get kicked out of the garden, they're kicked out of the presence of God, they're still, they can still have relationship with God, but it's now blocked by sin. They have two sons, I won't go into the whole story, but basically Cain gets jealous of Abel, kills Abel, and God comes to Cain, and God says, where's your brother? And Cain says a question, that I want to focus on this morning. He says, am I my brother's keeper? And, and that is a question that we have wrestled with from that point on. When sin entered the world and we, and we took that step away from God, selfishness entered the world, and we became individualistic and took that step to where we go, okay, There's a question now, am I my brother's keeper? I'm going to pray before we jump in. God, we thank you. We thank you for the family that you've given us. We thank you for the the people you've placed in our life. And I, I pray this morning that you'd give me the words to say that uh, our hearts would be open to your word and that you would, you would transform our hearts to be more like you. That is our desire, is to be with you and be more like you, to follow you. We pray all this in your mighty name. Amen. So fast forward to the New Testament. The second Adam, Jesus comes. The second man, the perfect man, Jesus comes. Jesus paid the price for our sins, died on the cross, rose again, tore that separation between us and God. Jesus had left heaven in oneness with God to sacrifice himself. It's a lot of things. We talk about the sacrifice of the cross. We don't talk a lot about the sacrifice of the manger. That literally Jesus gave up oneness with God to come and meet us where we're at. That's that's sacrifice. And so Jesus gave himself in the manger and then gave himself on the cross. He lived a life of service and took our sin upon himself. After he had risen again, he appeared to his disciples and said he was leaving to prepare a place for us. And then he answered the question that Cain asked. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, it's a famous verse. It's the Great Commission. He says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. So up to this point, the disciples had been following Jesus. Like that was, they're like, my life goal is to follow him. Like when, when other people walked away, Jesus asked Peter, hey, are you going to go away too? And he said, 
Uh, Where else would I go? You have the words of life. And so their life was about just following Jesus. It's like, okay, Peter, Peter was thinking, me, Jesus, me, Jesus, me, Jesus. I'm following him wherever he goes. Okay, he's going over and healing this uh, poor little child. I'll go over with him. He's going over here. I'm going to follow him. And that's what they did. And that's what a disciple means, is a follower. Someone who follows is a student to somebody. And so Peter spent all his life, and all the, the other disciples spent all their lives following Jesus. And Jesus said, okay, now that isn't enough. Don't just follow me. Now I want you to teach others to follow me. With the Great Commission, up to that point, Jesus had been the one, just had said, follow me. Uh, and then and Jesus was like, okay, I'm going to go prepare a place. Now you continue to follow me, but bring some people along with you. I've preached a lot of sermons on the Great Commission. I've heard a lot of sermons on the Great Commission. I think every youth uh, conference has, you have to have the sermon on sex, and you have to have the sermon on the Great Commission. That's a, it's kind of, I think it's written in the, the rules of youth conferences. The sermons tend to focus on the evangelism part of it, of sharing our faith with unbelievers, of going and getting people saved. All right, let's go and make disciples. Let's go and preach the gospel. Let's, and that's an important part of it, but it's incomplete. In Northern Africa, a lot of Christians have gone and done big evangelistic crusades. Huge, huge, huge crowds show up. Thousands of people get saved. And it's amazing. Then the preacher goes on to the next city and preaches again. Thousands come and goes on to the next city. There was a missionary in northern Africa that was talking to me about it. And he said, actually, one of what the Muslims were doing is they'd wait and they'd go after the Crusades, after the people were excited to hear about God, and they'd go, okay, now let us teach you about the true God. And and they'd start to disciple them. And that was a thing that they used. The Christian preachers got this great crowd. They felt great, and they got to be the celebrity for the day. But there wasn't lasting fruit. Because it, didn't, it doesn't say go into all the world and make believers of all nations. It says make disciples. It's not just enough to believe, but they need to go from believing to following. And in order to do that, they need somebody to help show them how. That's why Jesus said, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And so we have a place as the church... And not just getting people saved, not just reaching out to our neighbors, but actually as they come into the church, we all have a responsibility in seeing that they make it. To see that they continue. The Great Commission doesn't say, go and make believers out of all nations, get them to say a cute prayer and dunk them in water. Or if we get really charismatic and spiritual and then uh, pray for them to speak in tongues. And then go, okay, go your way. You've got your faith, I've got my faith. Go for it. Hopefully you don't fall. It says, make disciples, baptize them, teach them to observe all I have commanded you. There's a guy named Vishal Mangawadi who is a theologian and philosopher from India. And he wrote a book. He wrote many books. He wrote 
great books, but one of the books he wrote that I haven't read yet was written to people in India, and basically it was written for Christians, and it's like, okay, this, this is God's biblical kingdom culture, and this is the Indian culture. This is where they don't line up. As I was reading about that book, it made me think, okay, how often do we take a look at American culture and... In our American rural small town culture, we'll take a look at the suburban liberal elite culture, and that does not line up with scripture. But how often do we take a look at our rural small town culture and go, okay, what of this is kingdom culture and what of this is not? And I believe one of the areas that has seeped into the church, the American church, from the American culture is the sinful individuality. In the American culture, there is this, I am my own man, and that's creeped into the church with phrases like, you walk out your faith with Jesus and I'll focus on mine. I need to just focus on my own relationship with Jesus. I'm going to walk out my truth. I'll let you walk out your truth. Jesus will sort it out. I let each person walk out their own walk with God. What, what, what you want to do with, with God, whether you're sinning or not, that's up to you and Jesus. I'm just going to focus on me. We can make it sound really spiritual, but it's not biblical. Jesus didn't say, they will know your, my followers by your great personal faith. He didn't say, they'll know you're my followers by the amount you wrote in your prayer journal. Didn't say, they'll know you're my followers by the size of your ministry. He said, You'll, they'll know you're my followers by your love for one another. And love equals care. It means sometimes getting in somebody's face. It means encouraging somebody. It means refusing to give up on somebody. Wouldn't that be great to be known, like, as the American church, to be known, like, man, they just, they just love each other. They, they may disagree politically, they may disagree with all these things, but they still, they just love each other. That's, that's what Jesus said we should be known for. So how do we walk this out? How do we make disciples? Because if you're like me, growing up in the church in the 90s, there was a big discipleship movement. And it kind of twisted some things with, with Scripture. And, and with it, it was, there was this thing of, instead of, it says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, go therefore and make disciples. We changed that to disciple. It made it to where people, there were people, and it was like, I'm going to disciple you. You're going to be a follower of me. But that's not what it's saying. It's actually saying, make, make followers of Jesus of them. And so I bought into that in my ministry. And so I, I would be like, okay, I'm going to disciple all these people. And, and it felt good, because people would leave, and they'd be like, oh, Pastor Josh has so much wisdom, has so much this, so much that. And I was like, man, I'm good. I'm God's gift to the church. <laughs> then I came over here, and there was this quiet, beautiful woman that cleaned the bathrooms in the church and worked in the children's ministry and kind of served everywhere. 
And I started to talk to people after they talked to her about things. And that was my wife, Stacy, by the way. And it was weird. When people left me, they talked about how great I was. When they left talking to Stacy, they talked about how great God was. And how excited they were and how God had cleared up some things through talking with Stacy. And I realized two things. I realized I had some things wrong and I realized I wanted to marry her. That was the two, two things I realized. We can get caught up in the disciple and that and disciple word sounds scary. How many of you guys are a little scared of that word? Like of through past experiences or just kind of like if I'm like, hey, go disciple somebody. You're like, ah! I don't know what. I don't know how to disciple myself. So I want, I want to make people disciples of Jesus, not disciples of Josh. That means pointing to Jesus, creating followers of Jesus. So how do we do that as stay-at-home moms, as teenagers, as someone who works 50 hours a week, or people who are going through our own issues? How do we do that? I, I believe Ephesians 4... 1 through 16, hold some of the keys to that. And I want to read through it and old, unfold some of the truths from it. There's so much in this, this verse. There's so much theologically that I'm not going to be able to, to touch on everything. I want to just focus on where we're going this morning. So you can read along with me. It says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge. And that word urge means parakleo. It means like to, to passionately push. To, it means to encourage, to exhort, to rebuke. And, and Paul is saying, I urge you. I, everything within me wants you to do this. Because I therefore, a prisoner of Christ, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, And he gave gifts to men. In saying this, he ascended. What does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, pastors, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. For building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. There are six key points that I want to 
take from this about making disciples, about being our brother's keeper. Number one, the first key is we need to understand our calling. It starts out with, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling to which you have been, been called. First, we need to realize it is our calling, not my calling. Not, it's not a single. A lot of, we read the Bible from our individualistic American mindset, and when we read you, a lot of times we take that just to mean us. But actually, most of the time, you is used in the Bible. It's plural. It's not just an individual. And so this is a calling we have together. And in the context of Ephesians and the whole Bible, what is that calling? The first part is to know God, to be one with God, to to have that intimate relationship with him, to really to know him in a very intimate way. But that's a very important part, but it's not the only part. It's to know God and make him known. This is not just apply to evangelizing, but helping fellow Christians grow in Jesus. If you are a Christian, that is your calling. There is no spectators in the kingdom of heaven. Actually, there is. They're just not alive anymore. Hebrews 11 says, we have a great cloud of witness. It's the people who carried the faith before us. And they're looking, they're going, okay, what are they doing with the faith that we passed on to them? Let's, and, and they're watching us and they're cheering, cheering us on. If you're here, if you're a Christian, if you've given your life to Jesus, you are a part of this movement to know Jesus and to make him known. So how do we do that? Number two is bear with one another. And when I read that, it's kind of like, like if you're with your family for the holidays and you're like, oh, I'm not this way with my family. And you're like, oh, I just got to bear with them a little longer. Because I, I, have, I have sad news for you. If that's your attitude with uh, the family of God, we're just going to get closer throughout eternity. If, if, if your attitude is like, just a little longer, uh, no, no, <laughs> rest of eternity longer. And so it's not talking about putting up with until you can be done with. It actually is talking about bearing up other people's burdens. It's talking about sacrificing. In Galatians 6, 2 through 3, it says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. If you want to know the command of Christ, if you want to know the New Testament thing that we're supposed to do, start, it's bear one another's burden. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. If I think, okay, like, oh, man, I just have to put up with this person. If I think I'm better than somebody, I'm actually just deceiving myself. If I think I'm too good to get in the mud with somebody and help them through their burdens, then I need to stop calling myself a Christian. Maybe I can call myself a moral deist or some other fancy word, but I can't, I can't say I'm a follower of Jesus, the Jesus who sacrificed heaven and came and met us in our sin, literally took our our dirt, our mess on himself. We can't say we're followers of him if we're not willing to get dirty and help other people. So it says to bear with one another with humility. Philippians 2.3 says, With humility count others as more significant than yourselves. We build into what we see as worthwhile. Most of us spend most of our times on ourselves, 
because we see ourselves as most worthwhile. If we walk out with humility, if I go, okay, Herman is more significant than me, and you guys are going to get to hear Herman speak next week. And I'm excited because I get to meet with him this week. But I, I know that there's so many gifts in Herman. And I'm excited for you guys to be able to experience them. And, and so for me, if I have an attitude of like, well, I, I've preached a lot more than Herman, then that's, I've, I've missed it. Because here's the thing. I see the gifts in Herman. I want to do all I can to help him succeed. Because when he succeeds, a win for him is a win for me. When I see a marriage struggling in the church, I want to do all that I can to help it succeed because a win for that marriage is a win for our marriage. If my marriage is struggling, I'm going to do everything I can to see it fixed. So if there's someone else's marriage that is struggling and they're open to help, I'm going to do everything that I can to see it fixed. So it's with humility. And then it says with gentleness or meekness. And we... It's another word that we can kind of confuse, that it's like bearing one another's burdens with gentleness. That means we, th- we may think like, oh, that means we just don't, we don't want to hurt their feelings. We just, let's just do it. Let's just carry their burden, not say anything like mean. But that word meekness actually means controlled anger. It means controlled emotions. That, that word gentleness, it means, it means that. It doesn't, it's not talking about a weakness. It's not talking about a not being willing to challenge people. It's not talking about being just a doormat for people because that's not love. It's talking about, like, get angry over their sin. Burn and control it. Focus it towards the sin, not towards them. It takes gentleness. It takes meekness because stepping out and pouring into other people takes faith. We have to step past fear, judgment, frustration, our flesh, rejection, fear of rejection. Some people think the people that step out a lot, it's like, well, they're just so natural at it. No, they've just built a habit of it. None of us are natural at it. Naturally, we are affected by the fall. Jesus changes us and transforms us, and then he says, okay, let me continue to transform you by the renewing of your mind. And it's, it's making that habit. I can make a habit out of being selfish really easy. I do it all the time. You can ask my wife. You can ask my kids. But it's making that habit of kind of going, instead of going to church and going like a consumer, like we're going to a fast food restaurant, what can I have today that tastes real good, of going and going, okay, what can I bring today? How can I encourage Ava's faith today? How can I encourage Donna's faith today? What, what gift is God placed in me that I can give to other people? So with gentleness and with patience, the word patience literally means to suffer long. Are you willing to suffer for other people? You say, I'm willing to suffer for Jesus. Well, Jesus said, whatever you do to the least of these, you've done unto me. So are you willing to suffer for other people? Are you willing to sacrifice for others? Are you, are you sacrificing for others? What are you sacrificing for others that's not your family? Something I've heard is my family is my ministry as an excuse. My family is my ministry. And that's okay for a season. But if your family is your ministry, you're going to raise narcissistic kids. If you do everything for them, if I'm just going to focus all my time on my family. It's the beginning of a good sentence. Your family is your ministry team. 
Stacy is my first priority in life. But Stacy is not my ministry. She is my ministry team. She is my closest ministry team, so her health is more important than anything else. But because we're going together and we are affecting other people, my kids are a part of my ministry team. So we can't hide behind our kids. I've seen a single mom that's gone through horrendous things that, uh, that is one of the most encouraging people I know. So third, we need to repent of sinful individualism. I talked about this earlier. But throughout the scripture, it said, one body. We grow and we move together. If I'm trying to get my body strong, I'm not going to be like, I'm going to focus on this one bicep right here and get this bicep to be this big and everything else to be small. It's a family. We're a family. If Tony suffers, I suffer with her. And the great thing about suffering with people is when they rejoice, you get to rejoice with them. Those who walked with me through my health issues that were very long, it's like you get to rejoice that I'm healthy. So one body, one spirit, called to one hope, one Lord, one faith. But what about my personal faith? Your personal faith is connected to a corporate faith. And if it's not, then you're not talking about a biblical faith. One baptism, one God. We, we need to change our vision and even our wording sometime from individual to corporate. I loved, uh, we were praying for in Adventureville a couple weeks ago, and Robbie Moore was praying. We are talking that day about kids blessing God, that we can bless God, that that's what we're in praise and worship. And, he's, and he prayed, and I loved that he had this vision. He said, God, I pray that the kids would get this so much that they, they wouldn't just get it for themselves, but they'd be able to teach other kids about it. And that's someone who has a vision of going, okay, this is beyond just even me pouring in. I want to pour into other people to pour into them. It's realizing that Pastor Ted's faith is just as important as mine. And, and so teaming with him, that Richard's faith is just as important as mine and teaming with him. So we repent of that sinful individualism. We bear one another's burdens. We understand our calling. Then we use the grace that we were given. And this is where it gets personal. Here you can walk out your personal relationship. Because this is very, it says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. That word grace is gift. You have a gift that's not for you. You have a gift for the body. And it says to each one. It doesn't say to each one except Greg. It says each one. So everybody here, you have something to give the body. We tend to focus on what we don't have. Well, I, wish, I wish I could prophesy like Ken does. I wish I could sing like Kim McBride does. Instead of going... Okay, God, what have you given me that I can bless people with? So then uh, in, in Ephesians, it talks about the church leadership, and I'm not going to go into the apostles, prophets, all, all of that. That's a whole nother sermon. It talks about two different roles in the church. It talks about church leadership, and it talks about the saints, which means the holy ones, which is everybody. 
So there's church leadership and the, the saints, and it talks about the roles of each one. Church leadership, what is their job? In the American church, the answer is to do the work of the ministry. If you're a prophet, you prophesy. If you're an evangelist, you evangelize. If you're a pastor, you counsel and pastor people. If you're a teacher, you teach. But that's actually not what this scripture says. It says the, the work of the leaders is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So if you're a capital P prophet, your job is to raise up prophets. If you're a capital P pastor, your job is to raise up pastors or raise up people in there and find their ministry. So the, the church leader's job is to equip the saints for the work of the service. And then the saint's job is to work, to do your ministry. And the goal is, it says, to build up the body of Christ until we all attain to the knowledge, which that's knowledge is intimate knowledge. It's like Adam knew Eve and they had Cain and Abel. It's talking about this intimate knowledge. It says, to build up the body of Christ until we all attain the knowledge of God to the mature manhood. That's our job, is to make sure we all get to that point. I am my brother's keeper. My faith is not my own. You might say, well, I don't know what my ministry is. Well, start doing something. You know, your ministry is to bear another's burden. So find find a need and start fulfilling it. I don't know how many people have been like in in Adventureville or youth group. They're like, I don't know what to do. And I was like, join Adventureville. They're like, oh, I don't know. And they join it and they're like, I found my ministry. Or other people that are like, I don't know what my ministry is. Well, here's, here's this couple right here that's going through a hard time. Why don't you reach out to them? And they reach out and they go, oh, I really like this. And they start, and you start stepping out. Some of us are waiting on our calling, but we haven't gotten the car. Like, God, steer the way. He can't steer a lazy boy you got to get in the car and turn the car on and start moving. Start seeking him about it. And start doing stuff. You'll, you'll see really quick. Like, I've had people that have, have joined a certain ministry or started to do something, and I've been helping them. They're like, that did not work. That's not me. And you get to check that off your list. You don't have to do it the rest of your life unless God tells you to. So start doing something. In review, understand your calling, bear with one another, repent of sinful individualism, use the grace you are given. Those are all great, but how do I do that? I think the ending in the scripture passage holds the answers to that question. It says, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow, and it builds itself up in love. There are many ways that we're called to speak the truth in love. So the first thing is speaking the truth in love. There's many ways that we're called to do this, depending upon our gifting. But I want to focus on one that we're called to do regardless of our gifting, and that's encouraging and exhorting. Throughout the New Testament, there's a word that Paul used at the beginning of this, that's parakaleo, to urge, comfort, rebuke, press on, encourage. Parakalete is the Holy Spirit. 
And throughout the New Testament, there's examples of it all throughout of Jesus doing it, the disciples doing it, and, and there's commands over and over to do it. There's uh, so many verses that I had a hard time. I cut it down to two that I want to share. But a lot of what we call encouragement is a weak imitation of it. The word encourage means to place courage in, the, the English word. But sometimes when we try to encourage people, we actually do the opposite. Like an example of a guy who's addicted to pornography confesses to his buddy, and his buddy goes, you know, man, most guys deal with this. It's okay. We, we're all struggling with it. And, and tries to encourage them that way. But what is he encouraging them towards? What is he exhorting them towards? He's exhorting them towards apathy. It's like, it's okay. Everyone does it. That's not true encouragement. True encouragement presses people towards Christ. It presses them towards their call. What are we urging them towards when we encourage? So I want to start in Hebrews 3, 12 through 13. It says this. Take care, brothers. That means focus on this. Like, make this a priority. Lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. It means be on the lookout. Watch for people struggling. It says, but exhort, encourage one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So being any of you every day, we're, we're called to encourage, to, be, to take care. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 says, And let us consider how to stir one another up. That word consider means to brew over, to think about. How, how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. That's a, a guilt verse that a lot of pastors use to get people to come to church. Don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together. But we can come to church and still not assemble together. Assembling together is about connections, and it's about stepping out. And so it's not just about being in the building. It's about connecting with the individuals in the building. But encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So here's the times to encourage someone. When you see growth in their life, when you see lack of growth in their life, when they are doing well, when they are not doing well, when they respond to your encouragement, when they don't. Times to encourage somebody is all the time. I want to share a few examples of encouragement in my life. I talked about pornography. There was a time in my life I, I had a hidden sin of that, and I came clean to a pastor named Gary Duckworth, but I still really struggled with it. And he met with me and encouraged me and pushed me to be better than that, pushed me to get free. And I remember one day we were... We borrowed a convertible car from somebody. I don't know how we did, but we went to a park called Overlook Park. And I remember this day clearly because it was the day I got free. I had, I had just fallen again. I gave in to sin, and I knew I had to confess it to him. So I'm sitting there, and I said, so I, yeah, I, I messed up again. And this big guy, Gary Duckworth, his shoulders start shaking, and he starts, he starts sobbing. And I'm like, what is going on? And he goes, Josh, you are so much better than this. There's so much more for your life than this. 
Josh, you're better than this. And I, and I realized something then. I realized it wasn't just Gary crying over me. That it was God. And something broke in me. And the person who had viewed himself as just a broken porn addict all of a sudden realized I was better than that. And courage rose up in me. And that was the day I got free. There were other things I had to step past, but that was the day. And it was through someone loving enough to exhort. When Stacy and I were engaged, uh, she had a dream of always marrying a pastor. That was God told her that she was going to marry a pastor. And I went through a really dark time when we were engaged where I just was discouraged. And so I, I met with her and, and I said, you can call off the engagement if you want. I, I want to let you know I'm, I'm quitting ministry. I'm, I'm not affecting anybody. I'm, I'm just like, I'm just being horrible at it and I'm done. I'm done failing with it. And, and my sweet wife looked at me. She didn't feel sorry for me at all. She told me, I won't say exactly what she said, but she told me to get my head out of a certain orifice. And she said, what has God called you to? What has God called you to? If God's called you to do it, it doesn't matter if you're good at it, do it. Do it the best you can and trust him. That was encouragement. That was exhorting. When I was in the middle of my health issues, and there was the, t- the second time I lost a lot of weight, and Donna Mendel called me up and said, uh, Richard and I want to meet with you soon. I got a word for you. And, and they came over, and they gave one of the most loving rebukes. about. And the night before, God had spoke to me five things about needing to take a sabbatical, about doing all these things. And they laid out, and they, they came, and they said, these are the five things that we feel like God's said for you. And it was the same exact five things. I, I don't know if I'd be alive today if, that, if the things didn't happen because there were specific things that I needed to repent of and to, to get right. But that, was, that, was, that placed courage in me. So our words have the power of life and death. When we speak the truth in love, we are literally speaking life into people. Like when we, when we encourage people, a lot of you may not know Leah. Leah is awesome. Leah came with us on the Raymond trip. Leah's been through a lot in her life. And Leah loves great. My, favorite, my daughter's favorite person is Leah, other than mommy and daddy. Zoe loves Leah. And, and Leah has such a heart to pour into kids. And, and so I want to every chance I get, even in front of you guys, tell Leah to, to keep going for Jesus and to, to keep going because she is a gift. If you don't know Leah, get to know her because she is a gift. And I want her to know that. And so I'm going to use every opportunity, even make you guys sit here while I talk to her because she's, she's that important. And that's the way all of us are here. So the final thing is, use the joints God's given you. It says the joints, and the joints are where people have come together. And you, you may say, well, I don't know a lot of people. I only know a couple people. Great. Then you can, you can focus all of your energy on two people. 
Use the joints God's given you. Use the, use the relationships God's given you. Step out. Be the one to make the phone call. Be the one to, to text. Be the one to go up to somebody and say, hey, man, I, like during worship, I really, this is what I saw. How many of you guys know we have some good dads in, in this church? They need encouragement. Go up to one of them and be like, hey, Greg, you are a father in this house, not just to your own kids, but to, to everybody. And we need you, Greg. Like, I need you, and I'm so thankful for you. Go, go up to people and, and let, them, let them know. Invite them out to eat. Initiate contact. Let us be known for our love for one another. Romans 12.10 says, outdo one another in showing honor. Aim to be the most encouraging person in the room. That can be hard when Ken's in the room. It says outdo. That's one thing we can compete on is showing honor. And you might feel overwhelmed. You're like, well, there's a lot of people here. Jesus had multitudes that followed him. He spent most of his time with 12. And of that time, of that 12, most of the time with the 12 was spent with three. So I'd encourage you, pick your three. For this season in your life, who are the three people? Don't include family. Do this to your family. But you as your, have your family do this together. Who are your three people? You can pick more if you want. You want to be an overachiever. But start, start with three. I want, to, I want to encourage you. I want to urge you, challenge you, exhort you. Start today while it's called today. Don't let the sermon be the, the most powerful thing in somebody's life today. Let, let you, your words be a sermon to somebody. And the great thing about exhorting, if you're, if you're prophetic, you can throw in prophetic. If you're not prophetic, you're like, I don't know how to hear from God, just start exhorting. And as you team with him, because that's what the Holy Spirit does, is he is the exhorter, the comforter. As you team with him, you're going to start to hear his voice. It's hard to hear his voice when we're sitting on our lazy boy. But when, we, when, we're, when we're in our, uh, our new van, <laughs> driving, then he'll, he'll lead us. And you don't know. You might save someone's life. You might save someone's soul. This is heaven and hell. It's real. And I don't want to see any of you not make it. Amen? God, we thank you for today. Thank you for everybody that's here. Thank you for the blessing that you've given us in our relationships. And I pray today that you would show us who you've called us to, who are our people. Pray right now that you would, you would start stirring in people's hearts the people that you've placed in their life for them to encourage for them to spur on. God, I pray you would show us. And God, right now we commit. We commit to be exhorters. We commit to to make followers of you. Let our hearts burn with what burns your heart. Let our hearts burn for our brothers and sisters. We thank you. Praise you. Pray all this in your mighty name. Amen.